Um, The reading for this morning is taken from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 21. Warnings and encouragements. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak, first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear of the inner room will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill my body, kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth the many sparrows. I tell you, those who acknowledge me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But those who disown me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before the synagogue, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you would defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit would teach you at that time what you should say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I would like to share with you another reading this morning. Was anybody expecting to read the Romans reading this morning? No. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a, bit, a few crossed wires there, but that's absolutely fine. So I'll read this, uh, the, this other reading because um, this has relevance to what I'm going to say. And also, but not to say that that gospel passage 
was not uh, relevant at all to, to what I'm going to say later, because, because it is. So I'm going to read now from Romans chapter, um, chapter 12, starting to read at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If your gift is prophesying, then use it in proportion to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is in teaching, then teach. If it is in encouraging, encouraging then encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, then give generously. If it is leadership, then govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, then do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another with mutual affection. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joe asked me to think today about 
what it means to be the church family here in Christchurch in Down End. And I know that you have been uh, doing that for um, over the several weeks already and still have more um, thinking and exploring to come. And we know that that is what the group who are at Lee Abbey are doing today, exploring what it means to be the church family together. And we do pray that this will be a time of blessing and guidance and encouragement by the Holy Spirit for all of us as we think about this. We come together to share and explore the insights of all on the union of Christ and this church and between the believers themselves. I've been to this church often and I am challenged and excited by all that you do here to honour the name of Jesus and to serve one another in love. But this morning, I would like to offer you in all humility uh, my own experience of churches that I have known and what I have learnt there. Because whether you attend a small village church or a larger urban church or an inner city church, we know that we are all part of a worldwide and universal church, but that we rely on the local expression in order to experience communion. The church we attend is our immediate family in the faith. Somebody approached me this morning and made me welcome and told me that they've been coming to this church for a year and uh, the minute that they walked into the, the, the gathering at the school as it was then, they felt warm and welcomed. So thank you for sharing that with me. So here in all humility are some of my experiences of churches in local community. Uh, I came from a, a loving family, the eldest of six children. My parents did not belong to a church, indeed never went to church really until their later years, when I think they were defeated by the fact that all six of their children developed a religious affiliation <laughs> and so, so they finally decided that they might give it a go and explore what the Christian faith meant. Although I have to say that they had me and only me in the family baptised as a young baby in a church in Wales and for this I've had cause to be grateful. So whether you believe in infant baptism or not I think that you will never know what that commitment and promise might mean later to a child or an adult, or to the parents receiving a welcome from the church family. In the church I'm currently uh, serving in, we see baptism as a great opportunity to keep in touch with local families, whether they come regularly to our services or not. As was so often the case when I was a child, my younger sister and I were sent to our local Sunday school in a large and drafty church in Darlington. I can remember being excited about receiving a biblical sticker on a card <laughs> at every attendance, but I'm afraid that our visits were rather short-lived because my rebellious little sister would not sit still and threw wooden bricks around the room 
until the exasperated teacher snapped at me, can't you do anything with her? Those days when children were sent unaccompanied to Sunday school are largely gone, and the church now recognizes the value of families worshiping together. Children are welcomed into the church and respected as equal members. That is not to say that they don't receive teaching at an appropriate level, but they are as much a part of the Christian community as anyone else, loved and valued and respected for their spiritual insights and spontaneity. There is also a recognition that through many initiatives that the nurturing of faith is the work of the immediate family as well as the church family. The church reaches out to children through its local schools, offering an experience of the Christian story and sharing with the children its relevance to their own story and lives. And this is such valuable work and not to be underestimated in its effect. Many of you will remember that often used quote, give me a child until he is seven and I will show you the man. So I would applaud you for all the work you do with your children and young people. This is a most important and vital part of what you do as church. My own faith journey moved on when at the age of 11 I read a book about a girl coming to faith that I found in my school library. This story had a profound effect on me and that it introduced me to Jesus. I was overcome with a profound desire to offer my life to him and the feeling of joy and elation when I got on my knees and did so was overwhelming. And I knew from that point that I had to join with some other Christians. So I went to the nearest church to my home, which was at the back of my house, a Baptist chapel as it happens. Walking up to that path, to that church alone, was one of the hardest things I have ever done. But I cannot begin to tell you about the difference that that group of believers made to my faith journey. They welcomed me and treated my faltering expressions of faith with respect. They taught me and the other young people of the Gospels inside out, even putting us in for scripture examinations. They gave us responsibilities, visiting far-flung country churches to help with the services, nurturing me in Sunday school teaching, taking us to Christian rallies and camps, and helping me to become part of a close-knit peer group. They helped me to see that my life had a purpose and a goal. I began to see that the truths to which we adhere must have some consequences in our lives, and to understand that if the truths of Christian teaching do not have effect in our lives, then what sort of truths would they be? If knowing God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is the point of everything, then being a Christian makes us different. There is wisdom and goodness and truth in our world outside the church. Of course there is. But if people see that Christians are free in an attractive and intriguing way, then they may become interested in knowing why and ultimately interest in the God that we worship. What face do our churches present to the world, I wonder? 
There should be something about Christians that puzzles people and makes them wonder what is at the heart of our lives. Tertullian wrote in the second century that people were astonished at how Christians loved each other. And this was the mark of the church. Is there anything astonishing about how we live? Are our churches places where people are free and courageous? Our model, of course, is Jesus. He spoke with authority, and his authority was surely his manifest joy and freedom. His words made an impression because they were embedded in a life that was striking, reaching out to strangers, feasting with prostitutes, afraid of nobody. The church family should never be closed in on itself. How often have you or I visited churches where nobody spoke a word to you? No welcome, no invitation, no friendliness. And I have been to a fair few churches like that. The church is a home for everyone, especially for those whose lives are in a mess. We have no moral superiority. In the end, the Baptist church that I went to became restrictive for me because it did not allow me to ask the questions I wanted to ask. It nurtured me in a very strong faith, but when I wanted to question and grow, it wouldn't allow that, and it condemned my parents because they drank alcohol, moderately, I might add, and went to dances. (coughs) Being Christian is not being better than other people. When we declare that God is love, these words will only make sense unless it's in a context of a community that does those things, however badly, and with however many failures, it struggles with loving each other. If we say that Jesus is risen from the dead, but there is no sign of resurrection in our lives, then we can talk about the kingdom until it comes, but our words will not mean anything. So we should make our churches places of evident freedom, courage and hope and joy. No matter what form of liturgy we use, however formal or informal our church services, that whiff of freedom must be there or our words will actively subvert the gospel. Last Sunday, I preached at a small church deep in the Gloucestershire countryside, a church more different than this you could not imagine. But as I stood at the front, wondering if any of my words were heard, I noticed the excitement and enthusiasm of a man in the congregation. He lifted my spirit, and later he told me that he had had an an interview the next day with the Archbishop's Council with a view to becoming one of the Archbishop's evangelists in schools. He asked me to pray for him, and I was encouraged because here was somebody who wanted to reach young people and explain about the meaning of God in his life. As evangelists, we do not bring people to God, but we name the God who was and always is there, who is present in the lives of all human beings, even if unnamed and unrecognised. 
We come together in church so that we may undergo a profound transformation, so that we may share in God's life. We believe that it is in God that all of humanity will find its goal and meaning. So thinking that we have the right way of doing things, that we hold the truth in our small communities will not do. We have to heal disunity and polarization within the church. I have moved from the Free Church, the Church of England, via an ecumenical project in Yate. I sometimes attend Catholic services because some of my grandchildren are part of the Catholic Church. I have learned so much from the different traditions, newness and ways of worship, and about finding our way to the mystery of God. In my job working with schools in the RE curriculum, I have worked with people of other faiths, and I have learned from them about the holy mystery that is God. The reading from Romans that we heard is, of course, a wonderful passage about what we must do to be the family of God, a real church family. As I discovered at an early age, we have to be with other Christians, coming together to worship God, singing songs of praise, listening to the message, eating the bread and drinking the wine of communion, by praying, by giving money to the church. But there is a higher and truer form of worship, and that is giving yourself to God, fully, completely, devotedly, like a living sacrifice, as St. Paul says in that reading from Romans. When you are surrounded by people who share the same values, you are influenced by them and begin to share their values and learn with and from them. Praying together, sharing the word together, trying to understand what God wants from us and agree with what God, wa- and agree with what God wants from us with the intention of putting it into practice. We need to understand our gifts so that we can serve the best ways in which we can. We each have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. St. Paul says if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according with, with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Whatever gifts, talents, abilities and opportunities we have have been given to us by God. So when anyone uses those gifts, talents, abilities and opportunities, God is being honoured. We can honour others for their accomplishments without feeling threatened or diminished. Be devoted to one another in love, St Paul says. To be devoted to one another in love, you have to be committed to your community. Come regularly, get involved, make an effort to get to know people and try to help them. It's hard to do that if your life is so busy outside of the community that you have no time for your brothers and sisters 
here in the community. Be hopeful, be joyful, be patient. How wonderful it would be to see those words displayed in all our churches. Share with God's people who are in need. Be aware of injustices in the world. One of the first duties of Christians is to keep alive the awareness of what is happening to our brothers and sisters all over the world, to be informed and be ready to stand up for those who are suffering. Practice hospitality. Make others feel welcome around us. Be warm and friendly. Every human being is exceedingly valuable because they are made in the image of God. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Fallen human beings are selfish. The Lord wants us to be free from our old self-centeredness and become sensitive to the emotional condition of others. When others are happy, successful and prosperous, don't resent them. Be happy for them and with them. When they are sad, don't avoid them and their pain. Sympathise with them and comfort them. Live in harmony with one another. It's difficult for us to get along with everybody. People do and say things that annoy us or offend us. And churches can fall out over the most bizarre things. When I was young, I remember the minister in our Baptist church was given the gift of a communion table, which he thought was too tall, so he sawed the legs off the bottom and made it much shorter. And the church was in uproar and split for months and months after that with terrible arguments. It's natural for fallen human beings when they are hurt to hurt the one who hurts them, when they are hit to hit back, when they are insulted to return the insult. We are not to respond to evil directed against us like people in the fallen world do, says St Paul. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We are to try to have good relationships with everyone. Be someone who is gracious, forgiving, patient, who overlooks slights, who overcomes evil with good, who blesses when he is harmed, who seeks reconciliation, who takes the initiative to make peace. God's way for us to overcome evil is by doing good. We overcome evil not by doing evil and becoming the thing we hate, but by responding to evil by doing good, by acts of love, mercy and kindness. Finally, those of us who are called into fellowship are required to know that it is Christ who has made peace. We are not to be anxious. Christ has made peace and our life rests on what he has done and nothing else. Don't be driven by desperate activism, by the passion to get it all sorted and all right now. Jesus has made peace by the blood of his cross and we live in the fullness of what he has done. Amen. Amen.